Hey, thanks so much for coming to worship with us. Uh, we are going to begin a new series today. Were you all encouraged or challenged by our last series? All seven of you, we're so glad that you are here today. Um, but seriously, uh, don't move that. There are so many things and so many practices. Jesus does not invite us into a test that we take once, but a life and a journey that we embark upon with him. Practice, 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 to quote the philosopher Alan Iverson. But practice matters, and the practice of confession, the practice of worship, the, fa- the practice of friendship, the practice of reading the scriptures, these things that we invest in our lives on a daily basis. So we hope you were encouraged, we hope that you were strengthened, we hope that you were challenged. And so we just want to encourage you all to keep uh, leaning into those things. Amen? So this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. It is a uh, marker for the Lenten season. It's a church calendar season. Uh, Denominational uh, churches often recognize it and speak into it. And so we have, over the last several years, been leaning into it as an opportunity to speak specifically into a Lenten series. Um, And so the Lenten season are the days leading up to Easter. I want to talk about Easter here at Life Church. Easter here at Life Church, we often see a 50 to 75% jump in attendance on that one day. So uh, we've been averaging a little over 400, um, just statistics and numbers for you all to quickly forget. Uh, But that also means that we will normally have between six, seven, pushing 800 people uh, on uh, Sunday, on Easter Sunday. As you can imagine, and you're starting to sweat, I've been sweating for a number of weeks thinking about how are we going to make that happen. And we've talked and we've researched and we've done a lot of different things. So uh, we are going to keep our 1015 gathering on Easter Sunday and we are going to add, say add. We're going to add another uh, additional gathering at 8.30 in the morning. Uh, those of you who believe in sunrise services, that's great. That's as early as we believe the sun gets up here at Life Church. I was uh, speaking to a cross-section of people at the church. Hey, what do you think about this idea? What do you think about this getting a general sense? And one gentleman came back to me who shall remain nameless, but he's running sound today. He was like, hey, how do we know that Jesus doesn't get up at 12 in the afternoon? And I was like, amen, brother. Uh, so we are going to have our 8.30, or excuse me, our 10.15 in the morning gathering. Uh, but previous to that, preceding that, we're going to have a gathering at 8.30 in the morning. We will be talking about that. So you can make your plans. You can come to the 8.30 uh, and get to Easter brunch. And uh, we believe in Easter eggs. Uh, so get to your Easter egg hunt and all of those types of things. Uh, that also means we need more people to serve. Say Team. We believe in team, and so there are going to be more opportunities for people to come alongside, sign up on the schedule. Maybe you've never served at the church today. It's a wonderful way to attach. It's a wonderful way for you to find value and worth in and of yourself, not completely, but starting. Um, And so we're going to be offering opportunities for people to get on teams and help us at the doors, uh, the host ministry, the kid life ministry, and everything else that's going on on a regular basis. But we'll kick off at Easter Sunday as well. Also, just want to tell everybody, the previous... uh, uh, the preceding Thursday and Friday, we will have a Monday Thursday gathering. Uh, it'll be one hour from 7 to 8 here in the sanctuary. And then a Good Friday gathering from 7 to 8 here in uh, the sanctuary. Now, child care will be, be provided, but it's very low-key. Uh, we work through some really beautiful exercises and practices uh, on Thursday and Friday. I won't speak to those things because it might scare some of you off. 
foot washing. But, um, so, uh, but every time we do it, people are like, I don't want to do this. Every time I do it, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. It gets weird with podiatry and such. Um, but it, it's always a wonderful opportunity, and it's powerful. It's always those uh, gatherings are great. So put them on your calendar. Again, child care is provided, but, again, it would be wonderful for your young person to be in and experience that as well. They're short, one hour, and we think that they are beneficial. All right, do I have any ladies in the house? Do I have any, more specifically, ladies in the house going to devoted conference? They're a louder bunch. Um, we want to pray for our women as they go to the devoted conference. We want to pray for our men. No, I'm just kidding, uh, as they have to keep track of the children folk. Uh, but we want to pray for the women of the church as they go for a time to really connect with God's spirit and connect with one another, build community. Um, so if you're going to devoted, would you mind just standing up? I love watching the wave of people like, I'll stand up if somebody else stands up. <laughs> there's so many more people going. Um, I don't know if we have a room full of liars um, or people who just aren't here. And they're serving. They're all probably serving. That was, was that too much? That's okay. It's fine. I repent. Jesus' name, boom, it's gone. Never happened. Um, so just you see the women uh, who are standing, those who are going to devote. We just thank you so much for the opportunity to connect with your spirit. We thank you so much for the opportunity to connect in community. And we just ask for you to open doors that no man can close. Close doors, those nagging voices, uh, the, the practicalities of life that can so easily drag these women down. We just, we just silence those things. We ask for new days. We ask for physical healings. We ask for emotional healing. We ask for you to win. We thank you that your name is above every other name, Jesus, and we lift these women up to you for health, vitality, and above all else, your will in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen and amen. Uh, I want you all to stand for the rest of the gathering. No, I'm just kidding. You may be seated. All right, we're going to read our passage of Scripture, our hallmark passage of Scripture together this morning. Uh, it's out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 14. Uh, Chris, I've been reading together a lot. I'm like, yeah, because I've been reading with my daughter, and I want you to read too. I don't know. That has nothing to do with anything else. All right. This is uh, the ESV smushed together with the New King James Version because there's some things that the ESV leaves out that I like. All right. Are you ready to read with me? You ready to read with me? All right. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, I really enjoy the exercise of looking at and investing familiar passages of Scripture, unpacking what we quote-unquote already know, and facing the hazards of the familiar, facing the hazards of the familiar head-on. You know what I'm talking about? The familiar things, the things that are familiar, we tend to kind of settle. We settle on the shallow end of the pool. You know what I'm saying? We tend to uh, face the hazards of familiar, and we know what our wives are going to say, so we already have the prepared argument for what we think and know what our wives are going to say. Can I get a witness from the men in the church? Seven out of seven arguments my wife and I have are because I know what she's going to say. One out of ten times I'm correct, but 
Nine out of 10 times we get in an argument because I think we've already had the conversation and so I've had the argument three times in my head in preparation for the argument so I can win. Somebody say healthy marriage. So the familiar things oftentimes we overlook. We don't get to really benefit from that which is familiar. It kind of breeds contempt naturally. Talking about familiar things in relationships, we're going to be speaking about the, one of the most familiar passages of Scripture, the Lord's Prayer. Now, there are a number of applications to this familiar passage. We can read it as we just did. You can pray it uh, throughout the day or from time to time. We can use the structure of it to pray, kind of set up a form and space for us to enter into our own prayers. We can daily meditate on it. People will at times meditate on just a portion of it. Give us this day our daily bread and focus on that for a number of days. Just meditate on that. Draw out God's spirit from the words. There are probably lots of ways that you have applied this passage to your own life. In N.T. Wright's book, uh, The Lord and His Prayer, he, he says this. I'm going to read it. Speaking of the Lord's Prayer, he says, it is indeed a wonderful thing. How much more ought we to cherish and marvel at the fact that for nearly 2,000 years, people have prayed this prayer. When you take these words on your lips, you stand on hallowed ground. Just think about that for a moment. People have been praying this prayer for over 2,000 years. If you missed our prayer conversation in our Don't Move This, Don't Move That series, Pastor Justin did an incredible job unpacking prayer and alluding to and speaking to this specific passage as well, and I would encourage you to listen to that. But the notion that we would stand on something that isn't just in one section of the Christian faith, but by and large, every single, it cuts across denominations and belief systems and arguments and everything else. The Lord's Prayer is an accepted practice that people have leaned into for over 2,000 years. I just love the way that N.T. Wright communicates that, that when these prayers, these words are on your lips, we are standing on hallowed ground. Point being, apart from it being in the canon of Scripture, the passage of time and accepted practice proves that there are some deep waters worth exploring. That we would not be those who settle for the shallow truth, the shallow quick hit, the shallow dynamic of God's presence, but that we would say, you know what, there's more here. There's more than Jesus just praying. There's more than just Jesus talking about prayer. There is so much more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is indeed living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, dividing the soul and the spirit. And so we ask today, God, help us to make ourselves available to your presence. Help us to be who you have intended for us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Amen. There are lots of wonderful books to read on the Lord's Prayer, some that I would offer up to you. And as well, I've mentioned this a couple of times, uh, but we are going to be doing a series over the course of the summer, uh, How to Be Human. We're going to talk about uh, the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus extrapolates truth. Really, he's speaking to the dynamic of Exodus uh, 20 and the Ten Commandments. And so he acts about, or talks about it rather, in the context of, okay, this is how this is supposed to actually fit. This is how it looks in our lives. And uh, one of the great books on that 
substance and topic is the cost of discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, the sacred, no, divine romance? Sacred, no. Divine, divine romance by? Doesn't matter, it's a great book. Uh, but it's uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Also, The Good and Beautiful Life, a small group and series that we consistently in- invest and speak to by James Bryan Smith, has an excerpt. Obviously, it's about the whole Sermon on the Mount, which this is drawn from. And I would encourage you all to read. Anybody want this? Jude, you're not going to read this. Lasisi, come here. Jude, I have other books for you, sir. In fact, I have books for you on yourself that I have bought. Also, N.T. Wright, J.I. Packer, uh, side note, if you want to be a theologian, just start referring to yourself uh, by your uh, initials. I shall be now f- never known as C.P. Fahrenbach. And I'm working on an English accent. It makes me smarter as well. And the church said. All right, let's start with the impetus. Let's start with the impetus for these words that Jesus gives to us away from our passage of specific interest. The the telling of this moment really uh, shows forth for us in Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel details the Lord's prayer, uh, but it begins with a question. It begins with, okay, the, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, hey, teach us to pray. This is not just a random moment. I think we always have to back up and say, why is Jesus saying this? Why is Jesus doing this? I think too often we enter into this Western and American mindset that Jesus just sits around pontificating, teaching class after class after class after class. Jesus does not do that. He is more purposeful than that. And so it's always in response to, maybe it's because he's moved with compassion. Maybe it's because he sees the multitude. Maybe it's because he uh, is interrupted by this woman who's caught. There's always a reason why Jesus speaks the words that he's speaking. And so the Lord's Prayer, we have to begin with understanding, is not just Jesus saying, and now I sort of talk about prayer. The disciples come to him and say, hey, teach us, show us, instruct us to pray. Firstly, do you know that you can ask God? Do you know that you can open your ear and open your heart to his wisdom and his counsel? It's as simple and as easy as you asking. But too often the speed of life, the tyranny of busyness, cuts us off from the opportunity to be aware of his presence. God's presence is not flipping. It doesn't come and go, but our awareness of it does. Do you know today that you can ask God? As a spouse, you can ask God, how do I serve this woman? How do I work through this dynamic in our relationship? What is wrong with me, Jesus? That's a great question to ask God. Bring a notepad, bring a pen. He's probably got some things to say. But I want to drill this home. Do you know you can ask God? God. Man, there's just this feeling when I get around this person. There's a rupture in a relationship. Man, my finances are helter-skelter all over the place. And we try and figure and we read books. And that's awesome. And I encourage it. As I just said, I read a bunch of books. And I believe in reading. I believe in education. I also believe in the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I would rather not grab random books that are really good in the stead of a God who loves me and knows my specific moment. Knows my frame. Do you know that you can ask God? So, 
the disciples are coming to Jesus and they say, hey, your homeboy, Jesus, teach us to pray. What are they asking? Why are they asking this? We have to always remove ourselves from the flannel graph and nilla wafers and lemonade of our Sunday school days. These aren't just these richly theological laden dudes who are like hanging on his every word like teach us to pray. Show us the seven. These are a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. What are they asking? Teach us to pray. That word pray comes from a compound word which means to be near or towards by entreating, willing, and leaning. They're asking Jesus about this activity, not because they're spiritual, but because they have seen Jesus do this. They have seen Jesus entreat the Father. They have seen Jesus will something that isn't in his world and circumstances. They have seen Jesus lean into a different dynamic than where he currently was. And so by watching him and seeing him, they're saying, hey, we want that. Teach us about that. Praying is not divergent from who Jesus was and is. They're seeking a foundation for what he's modeling. Man, kids. Kids were such a good idea when we didn't have them. Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. I love my, my, my kids are amazing. I love Asa. Went and spent a day with him playing, uh, watching him play basketball. I was just so proud of who he is. I'm so proud of who Jude is at 11 years old. He comes home and does his homework by himself. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so proud that my son Jude at 11 years old can hit a baseball further than I can. I'm so proud that Zoe can manipulate so much better than I can. There's so many things that I'm proud of my wonderful children. They add a lot to my life. They add a lot to my life. And they are the largest, without a doubt, aside from my wife. In fact, more so than my wife. Asa, Jude, and Zoe are the largest barometers for who I am and where my heart is. Because what they see me do, they do to the nth degree. I would submit to you parents today that some of the things that you're frustrated with with your children. I'm just saying, you might want to look in the mirror. And it might not look exactly the same when you look at it, but it's because you're not seven. It's because you're not 14. And I would submit to you the frustration you have with them on their phones. Let me ask the question, how much are on your phone? What are you modeling? I know what you want for them. You're here today. Thank you. You have them here. You, you bring them to church. You drop them off at real life. You do all those things. And they're like, why is there no change? Why is there no growth? Why is there no healing? Why are they rude to me? Just take a step back. And may we be parents who look ourselves in the mirror and say, man, what's my part in this? What am I modeling? My point in saying all of that is because the disciples have been watching Jesus. Your kids watch you. My kids watch me. Oh, man. How many times have my boys been like, yeah, but you do this. And I'm like, go to your room that I pay for. And don't 
quote me to me ever, ever again. And this never happened. Don't tell people at church about this. I am the holy man. <laughs> so the what? They're asking Jesus about something that he does. The why? 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 Just as another question came in another moment of Jesus' life, what is the greatest commandment? This is a somewhat expected question of filtration and perspective. It's a, it's a yoke establishment for a rabbi. Uh, most rabbis would have heard the question, what's the greatest commandment? And the vast majority of rabbis would have heard the question, hey, Teach us to pray because they would give their perspective on prayer. They would give their perspective on leaning into and away from and how to expect and how to entreat. It's, a, it's another way. Look, they're not saying, hey, how do you pray? They're asking Jesus, how do you pray? They're not asking Jesus, hey, tell us about prayer. They're saying, hey, how do you do it? And so with that context and understanding, all of a sudden the Lord's Prayer takes on a slightly different turn. How do you, Jesus, how do you entreat? How do you ask? How do you will in the world with its circumstances? How do you lean into life? J.I. Packer writes this. He says, praying to God is a problem for many today. Can I get an amen from the church? Some go through the motions with no idea why. Some have exchanged prayer for quiet thought or transcendental meditation, which, by the way, I think are wonderful practices to have in our world today. Most perhaps have given up on prayer entirely. Why? The problem. The answer is clear. People feel a problem about prayer because of the muddle they are in about God. Homework assignment. Use muddle in a sentence later this week. If you are uncertain whether God exists or whether he is personal or good or in control of things or concerned about ordinary folk like you and me, and you're bound to conclude that prayer is pretty pointless, not to say trivial, and then you won't do it. And here I stand up here before you and I say, hey, prayer is important. Pray, pray, pray. And you're like, maybe in the recesses or maybe on the shallow side of your life and being, you're saying, but God doesn't know me. Certainly isn't good. Not aware of me. So why would prayer in any of those circumstances mean anything to you? The issue is not the activity, but the relationship. Your awareness of his presence. Here's the thing. Speaking about the disciples asking Jesus to pray. Jesus is God. I was expecting a different response. Maybe we need to redo a whole theology here at this church, but let's try this again. Jesus is God. <laughs> a little lackadaisical church. Jesus is God and he gives us the way to go. We are both to worship and witness Jesus. We are to extol him and look like him. The sooner we can accept this dyad, this confrontational pairing, the better off we will be. That we are both to worship Jesus and witness him. Things like Christ makes all things new and when we acknowledge him, we enter into the process of becoming new. We spend our entire lives working out our salvation only after Jesus saves us entirely when we receive him. On Calvary, Christ gave the ultimate and only sacrifice necessary. And each and every day, we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Let me go further. God's grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. Go and sin no more. 
Which is it? Yeah. So has Jesus done everything or should I also do some things? Right. When Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it's yes, that as we follow him, but then later he says, and greater things you'll do. It's not just a moment and a passage of issue, but it's also the passage of our lives and time. When Jesus invites his followers, he says, hey, come and follow me, come and follow me, come and follow me. The word there is akalutheo, which means to come and do life with me, let me do life with you. Yes, there's a moment, but there's also a momentum that carries over for the rest of our lives. And so with these four words, if you're taking notes today, the title of our series is uh, 71 Words, showing us how to pray, think, dream. <laughs> Come on, somebody put that up. I almost, nope, that's, go back. There's a slide, go back. Go back. Go back. There it is. 71 words. That's how many words are in the prayer. Showing us how to pray, think, dream, interact, and be human. And we're going to do words one through four. Each week we're going to look at a few words, one phrase, and drill down and swim around in these deep waters. So we're going to do words one through four today. And with these four words, pray them like this. On the heels of the disciples asking him, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Jesus' response, the first four words out of his mouth are, pray then like this. And with these four words, Jesus unleashes both a torrent of truth and possibility. Pray then like this. First, by Jesus' instruction, we understand that you can control when, where, and how you entreat, how you lean, and how you will. You can. But Chris, I have so many other thoughts. That's why the Bible says, take your thoughts captive. Now, if you're anything like me, you have Googled how many thoughts do I have in a day. Because it feels like multiple tens of thousands. And in fact, Google will tell you it is multiple tens of thousands of thoughts a day. That is exhausting. If you try and capture each and every thought while it goes on. Hello, somebody. Anybody want to say mental breakdown? The best way to take your thoughts captive are to train your eye on Jesus. To train your heart on who he is, what he has said, and what he has done, and what he invites us into. But you can control when, where, and how you entreat, how you lean, and how you will. How do I know this? Because Jesus says, pray then like this. Pray, lean, entreat, will. I love it. We see it in Psalm 42 and 43, the honest expression of David. My soul, why are you so jacked up? Last night, 
I had a rough day. Just a lot, not a rough day. It wasn't a bad day. It was a good day. Lots of great things, but it was just a day. Can I get a witness from the church? It wasn't like, you know, my pet's head didn't fall off. I don't have a pet, praise God. Um, but like my car started, first try. The, the window that, or the, the mirror that I have duct taped on didn't fall off. Like lot, things did not go wrong yesterday. It was just a day. Are you with me, adults? It was just a day. And by the end of it, I was like, I was feeling kind of ornery. And you know, I know when I'm feeling ornery when my wife looks at me and says, are you okay? Up until that point, I'm confident I'm okay. Then she says, are you okay? And I am confident of the fact that I am not. (laughs) And I looked at her and I was like, just tired. She's like, well, you've been waking up. I'm like, yeah, like soul tired. Like I'm physically tired because I'm an adult, but I'm soul tired because it's just lots of things. Well, what is it? I'm like, It's got no words. Just like I can't stretch against that. And I was like, I just, it was like eight o'clock at night. I was like, I'm gonna go for a run. She's like, Yeah, get it, get after it. And I'm like, I'm not doing this because I want to. I feel like I need to just. So I went out, and went for a run in the cold. It didn't even count. My watch died. Had to deal with that frustration. So according to Apple and my health, that run never happened. But in the course of that running, I was like, man, God, I'm just down. I'm weighty. I'm frustrated. I'm irritated. I want some wind in my back. Do you ever realize when you're running, the wind is always in your face? Why is that? And you're like, okay, fine. I can take it on the front side. Then when I turn around, it shall surely be at my rear. But somehow it does not. That is the number one reason why I know I am not in heaven. I'm in heaven, man. That run's going to be like. But when your soul's jacked up, do you know you can lean another way? I'm not saying you have to go for a run. Do whatever it is that you need to do to realize what's happening right now. Because God says, pray then like this. You can lean another way. You can entreat differently. You can will separately from your circumstances. And for all those people who are thinking, but, just my retort to you is, but you can. Because Jesus died on a cross for you. You can. Second, this is a fun one. You ready? Pray then like this. Second, if there's a this, then there's a that. What's up, Dr. Seuss? If there's a this, then there's a that. Jesus is delineating a right way from a wrong way. It's not exactly red pill, blue pill like Neo uh, kind of choosing, but rather pointing to a scalable health. It's an outworking. He's pointing to an outworking of how you're living, how you're leaning, how you're entreating, how you're willing in your life. And the outworking looks often like, are you concealing and justifying or are you revealing and discovering? Are you concealing and justifying or are you revealing what's in you and discovering who you are. Again, not just because you are a really self-aware person, but because God's Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you out of where you currently are. I mean, look, just a few passages earlier as Jesus, before he talks about the Lord's Prayer, he talks about all the people who are praying the wrong way. 
When you pray, when you lean, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. We love to pray. We love to extol. We love to do these activities and these actions. But he goes on. He says in uh, uh, Matthew 27, excuse me, 23, he says, woe to you. He's speaking about the scribes and Pharisees just a few passages earlier. And he speaks them again in Proverbs, or excuse me, Matthew 23, and verse 27 and 28. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He's using the same word because he's talking about the same people. By the way, us, let that settle in as you Google for a new church. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Church, if there's a this, then there's a that. Well, how do I know? You're making me anxious, Christoph. You're making me anxious. Am I doing this or am I doing that? And I don't even understand the use of the pronouns. Is it that that I want to be or is it this? Because if that that is this, then my life is this. But I want to be that. But you're saying that that's bad and then this is good. Help me, Jesus. Are you concealing and justifying? Or are you revealing and discovering? And it takes the spirit of God and it takes the community where he has planted you. Well, Chris, if I don't have a community, that's your fault. That's your fault. Because you have to put your roots down. Well, I don't have time. I'm not saying you have to be rooted like me, but you got to be rooted. Whatever availability you have, you got to use it. If there's a this, then there's a that. If I could have those who are going to prepare communion come, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. This dyad that I was speaking of earlier, this both and. God's grace is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. And then God also says, go and sin no more. Christ makes all things new and we acknowledge him. Entering into the process of becoming new for the rest of our lives. Communion is catching in this dichotomy as well. And I'd like to invite us into that struggle this morning. Go ahead and stand with me. And I use that word catch. Catch catch. When I was younger, catch used to mean I was passing something and somebody was passing it to me. Catch. Playing catch. You play catch when you're a child. You play catch. Or maybe you go fishing and if you're Luke Lowy, you catch fish. When I go fishing, I sit by myself. But the word catch has taken on a new meaning for me in recent months and years. Are you with me, old people? Catch means you ever walking across the kitchen and something catches? I'm not talking about your sweater. <laughs> yeah, I see a bunch of people be like, mm-hmm, preach it, brother. You know, when you catch, you just walk, you're like, oh, catch. What's wrong? Like nothing is within a five-foot radius, but something catches, and it makes you go, you with me? All of a sudden, people are like, oh, the gospel makes sense now. Communion, the Eucharist, the bread and the cup is supposed to catch. That's why he says every time you eat and drink, do this. Every time you do this, remember me, catch, catch, catch. N.T. Wright quotes 1 Corinthians 11. He says, as often as you break the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim you announce the death of the Lord until he comes. We come for our daily and our heavenly bread. We come for our daily and final 
forgiveness. We come for our daily and ultimate deliverance. We come to celebrate God's kingdom now and pray for it soon. The catch. So we have our bread and cup this morning. We have gluten-free Jesus with Brenda and Amanda. There's, uh, do we have them back? Yeah, we have front and back today. So, Father, we just thank you so much for what you accomplished on the cross through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the obedience under death. We thank you for the open door of salvation to every single person on the face of the planet today. We love you and we honor you. And as we get the bread and cup, let us be mindful of your body that was broken, your blood that was spilled, and the salvation that is offered to us in the moment and what you invite us into for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Come get the bread and the cup or go get the bread and the cup. Whichever way you're going. All right. We hold in our hands the bread and the cup. It's a cracker, church, and juice. And it's the body of Jesus. It's the blood that he spilled. It's a recognition. It's to remember. It's to pause and recall. Come on, church, that we can pray, that we can lean that we don't have to be dictated by our circumstances, but we can find a different issue when we will a new way. How do I know we can do that? Because Jesus said, hey, pray then like this. And so, Father, we remember 
that which was bought and paid for, what was made available to us through the death of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice on the cross. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen. You may partake of the bread and the cup. want to give opportunity to, for someone to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We've mentioned it in worship. We've talked about it in the message today. Jesus is available to you, but we have to receive him. We have to say yes to what he is, what he has accomplished. And it's really simple, church. It goes something like this. Jesus, give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. We can get into theology, we can get into water baptism, we get into baptism of the Holy Spirit. What matters most is for you to say, Jesus, I give you my life. And if that's you today, you'd like to make that declaration, maybe for the first time, or maybe you have wandered and strayed or gone your own way, and you say, you know what, I want to come back home. I want to just really put my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, just lift your hand right now so we know who we're praying with. Anybody today want to make that declaration? I see your hand. Anybody else? You don't have to lift it high just so I can see it, so we can pray with you today. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you so much. Anybody else? All right. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. I got nowhere to go. Spring training don't matter. Cubs aren't playing yet. Hallelujah. All right. We're all going to pray that prayer together. You ready? You ready, church? All right. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, you heard every voice in this place. You saw the heart declare that. You saw the hands go up and the decision to follow after you. We pray specifically for those two people and anybody else who right now is making that shift. Maybe they didn't feel confident enough or um, safe enough to raise their hand. We just pray blessing on those people who made that shift to receive you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just fill their thoughts Fill their heart and lead them and guide them in truth. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, just give a clap offering to Jesus. That's what we're about, following Jesus, making those declarations. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, if you lifted your hand, I saw you. I won't chase you down. I got a hamstring thing. But if you want to come talk to me immediately following the gathering, I'd love to pray with you, talk with you. Uh, Jay Goodwin is in the back at the new place. We'd love to connect with you if you're a back of the room type of person. But let's do a, uh, a benediction together. We're going to read it together, and then we let it sink in, and then we're going to read it together again. You ready, church? All right, let's read it together. Here we go. There? Sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't even know it was there. All right, let's go. May we believe Jesus, be persuaded by his opinion more than our own. May we allow God's Holy Spirit to catch and help redirect our attitudes, actions, and expectations. No, 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 wait. No condemnation. We won't excommunicate you for the first time, but the second time is going to be a whole nother conversation. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We don't believe in that. All right, let's read this together. May we believe Jesus, be persuaded by his opinion more than our own. May we allow God's Holy Spirit to catch and help redirect 
our attitudes, actions, and expectations. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. Love you all so much. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.